You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Ed, it is a huge day for big tech earnings. Spotify already out the gate. We've got Alphabet Microsoft reporting after the bell with ad spend, AI, search engine details front of mind for investors. Then the European Union says 19 major online platforms and search engines will be subject to extra scrutiny under its new content moderation rules, including a plan to conduct a live stress test at Twitter. And let's talking of Twitter, the app Blue Sky is backed by Jack Dorsey. It's emerging as a possible alternative to Twitter. What makes it different from the competitors? We'll dig into that in a moment. But first, let's check in on those markets. Because once again, we are worried about recessionary risks. We are worried about the macro environment. We are therefore selling off on the Nasdaq more than a percentage point lower, worse than some of the other key benchmarks as we see some of the data, whether it be about consumer confidence, whether it be about housing prices, just showing some slowing in this U.S. economy. Ten-year yield, therefore, for a flight to safety, six basis points, seven basis points, let's call it, on the downside for the 10-year, below that 200-day moving average. Meanwhile, we're not only risk-averse in the U.S., we're also risk-averse for a sixth straight day in terms of your U.S.-traded Chinese names. Why? This has a lot to do with geopolitics, Ed, and the worry that we're going to limit U.S. Right. investment in those Chinese names. And look at what's happening in the world of crypto. Another bit of a bellwether in terms of risk sentiment. It's back to being a risk asset, and we're down by a half a percentage point. Yeah, earnings the main driver for me on the micro picture. I'm taking an eye at GM, right? They've raised guidance for 23, but there's a lot of analyst concern about how thin margins going to be as they shift to EV. A bit of a, a public service announcement. They're retiring the Chevy Bolt. Production will end on that model this year, which is an interesting moment of EV history. First Republic also interesting because, as we've been talking about for weeks, so much of our audience were depositors at First Republic, and that's where the concern is, deposit outflow. I know you and I are going to talk about that later in the program. Look at how severe the drop is. A restructuring is on the cards, strategic options. That's the downside. To the upside, we are looking at Spotify. Out the gate with earnings this Monday. Subscribers on the paid side rising 15%, 212 million. On the monthly active users, we've actually breached that 500 million mark. 515 million monthly active users, a narrower than expected loss. There's still questions around profitability long term. But then you look at their outlook for the second quarter, revenue growth. 
subscriber growth, monthly active user growth, and that's what investors like to hear, Karen. Yeah, all good signs, but let's dig in on whether that path to profitability is getting any closer. Spotify focus with Sandeep Sharma, his third bridge senior analyst. So you're reading the positive in terms of the tea leaves here? Yeah, absolutely, Caroline. At pleasure, pleasure beyond. So first off, straight off the bat, pretty good, a good performance across the board. We saw 14% revenue growth. We saw consistent gross profit margins. And yes, EBIT profitability was down as well. But again, this is sort of in line with what we've expected. But I think a big thing over here is that you know, when it comes to Spotify across the entire board, they've been focusing so much on what they show to investors, which is subscriber growth. And again, that shows in the ways in which they've reported their numbers across. But what retail and institutional investors really seem to be focused on or were really focused on in 2022 was that path to profitability. What that's led to is sort of a mismatch or an inability to come up with a unified, coherent equity story for the business. And that perhaps has been responsible for what some could argue to be a relative underperformance for a company of this scale. So yes, we're seeing positives across the board, but from the experts we've interviewed at Third Bridge, it really appears as if the longer term sustainable profitability right. might not be something the company can hit right now. It's maybe a story more about market share retention and market share gains as, well, as a whole. So it's well, a Sammy, little bit right now. No, no, market share, market share. Let's talk about technology as well, though. What I find is so interesting is there's a lot of option out there. We were talking on this program about Apple, for example, raising services prices with Apple Music. Spotify is growing its subscriber base. Why? Is it podcasts? Is it the music library? There must be a reason that they're continuing this growth narrative, at least. No, absolutely. So, you know, I'll probably try and split that down into two components. It becomes a bit more clearer so we can see the emerging picture. Let's move into the developed markets first and look at the premium subscribers there. First off, Spotify, the one thing it's been able to do in a fantastic way is have very strong brand equity across the board. Um, it's got a powerful first mover advantage and it's also developed, it's also been so ingrained into how consumers tend to use the product that Spotify for a lot of people becomes the go-to that they end up using. It's easier for them to acquire those customers and have them on. So in the yeah. premium subscriber space, you know, they're doing quite well over there, um, as opposed to other players who are right. a little bit late in the market. Uh, but if you're looking at it from the perspective of emerging markets, you know, some of the interviews we've done where we've looked at Spotify in the Middle East and North Africa and in India, Latin America, again, they spoke about their Latin American performance, this earnings, they are going very aggressive in terms of their marketing spend over there. Um, we'll talk about that profitability consideration, but Spotify appears to have realized that Longer term, again, longer term in yes. nature, if they're able to crack these developed markets, that's how they're going to be able to get that profitability and scale. Hey, Caroline, the big theme of this earnings season is artificial intelligence. Yeah. When I open Spotify, the platform knows what I want. It's red hot chili peppers every time. <laughs> but what's the read clue when it comes to Spotify is the big question. Yeah, and really the investments it's making in technology in that direction. Remember the AI DJ that we got to play with a little bit earlier in the quarter, Ed? And right. Sandeep, to your point, therefore, are they making the right investments? Because many felt that they were having to dial back some of that spending, particularly in this overall focus of podcasts. But they're still having to spend to deliver us the content we want in the right time. Absolutely. And so here's a big theme. I think Daniel Ek came out in 2022 and he mentioned that we're going to see reduced spending at that particular time. 
the experts we have interviewed and across the board, the read has been that this is not necessarily going to be the case. If you look at the ad-supported tier, first off, you know, in terms of just that ability to give the targeted advertisements, Spotify hasn't been able to crack that just yet. It's sort of more over the over the counter, so to speak. So it really needs to invest further in terms of the ad tech there. On top of that, we saw them go ahead with more podcast acquisitions and again with more acquisitions in terms of the tech there. It really needs to build out a more sophisticated, targeted, meaningful system to do this. So again, more spending in that element, but it is spending in the right direction. But again, spending is required. Onto the flip side, moving into the audiobooks realm, fantastic decision across the board. But right. it is evident that the company still needs to spend over there. So sort of the 2022 narrative that we are going to slow down in terms of our investments is not ideally going to play out over the course of the next year, year and a half, while they buff up that technology. Throw an AI into the mix right now, yes. they're going to be seeing an increased focus on that. Uh, Sandeep Sharma, Furbridge, senior analyst, like many, Caro, one of those that says profitability will come with scale, kind of this catch-22 situation. Anyway, today we're going to get results from Microsoft and Alphabet after the bell. For that, we bring in Bloomberg Intelligence senior analyst Anurag Rana. Anurag, let's start with Microsoft. What is it that you want to see from this company? What is it that's going to bring you some potential upside surprise? So I would say the comments would be most critical because, uh, you know, so far we have seen a downward trajectory in cloud sales, infrastructure sales, PC. I mean, uh, throughout the entire ecosystem, you know, we are looking at a slowdown in demand. You know, any comments about uh, even stabilization would, I think, be, be welcomed by investors. What's interesting, Anurag, is we've almost moved away from fundamentals with Microsoft a little bit. It's caught up in the hype of AI. How much do you want to hear about future revenue addition from this investment? Or are you looking more that in the here and now it's not really prevalent? See, if they give a guideline that uh, you know they, they should start seeing some kind of a revenue upside maybe next quarter, the quarter after that, people will like that. But frankly speaking, this is so much in the test phase right now that the addition to cloud revenue or other areas, it's going to be a while before we see that. Um, so I think the big growth factor or the big factor today is where is enterprise tech spending and what should we expect over the next couple of quarters? If we're going to try and, and, and read across the entirety of earnings season, what I take away from your preview decks is the bread and butter businesses are under the spotlight. What we want to see is some of the other sides of their business perform. You take Google as an example. Search, we're worried. Cloud could be a boost. Yes, yeah, for uh, Google, for example, their cloud business is small but growing very well. I mean, I think this is an area where they have differentiated uh, compared to rivals. And I think, uh, you know, they have their space in the top uh, vendors. I mean, Amazon's never going to lose their top spot in our view. Microsoft's going to remain the number two player there. But Google is going to be a very strong number three contender for, uh, for cloud infrastructure services. And I think uh, they have done a good job about it. Overall, how is the market positioned? For these numbers, do you think? I mean, are we have we ridden on the hype for both names, and we're worried that overall we could see a knee-jerk reaction as we tend to in after hours, but then we start to drift through and yeah. really decide where the growth potential is for these names. I think the guidance is obviously is the biggest key at this point because um, the numbers are going to be what they have, and the guidance comes on the call. Yeah. And the question over there is, we are all expecting numbers or guidance to be slightly down compared to what people are expecting, but if it's really bad, then I. I think it's going to be a bad day tomorrow if they go out and say, you know, we are seeing some stabilization in new growth or new, then, you know, it's going to be the exact opposite of that. We'll see how, of course, Ed, how cost-cutting comes into all of that as well. 
Yeah, we will do. And gosh, what a busy week we've got ahead of us. Bloomberg Intelligence's Anurag Rana. Thank you. Now, some 19 major online platforms and search engines, including YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, well, they're going to be subject to extra scrutiny and potential fines under new content moderation rules set by the European Union. Bloomberg's Amy Thompson joins us now. Just to update us on, well, remind us, what is the Digital Services Act? Sure, yeah. The, um, the Digital Services Act got rolled out by the European Commission last year. Um, and it's all about reining in what big tech companies can do with your data. Um, so it includes things like uh, bans on serving ads to minors, um, bad, bans on uh, serving ads based on uh, uh, what the commission calls sensitive personal characteristics like uh, sexual orientation. Um, it's got rules about combating disinfo. It's got additional reporting requirements um, and transparency requirements that these guys are going to have to follow. Hey, Amy, there's 19 uh, companies, technology names potentially impacted, some more than others. Which are those names caught by these rules and, and sort of the strengthening of the rules? Yeah, it's, it's uh, nobody who'd surprise you, I think. It's anybody with more than 45 million uh, monthly active users in Europe. Um, so it's all the big guys. It's uh, a number of Google's platforms. It's uh, Meta's platforms, Facebook and Instagram. It's Snapchat. It's TikTok. Um, it's Amazon. It's Apple. Um, a lot of the big international tech companies are getting, are getting caught up in this. And that's who it was meant, meant for, really. Yeah, and the penalties for some of those names potentially quite severe as a proportion of global revenue. Our thanks to Bloomberg's Amy Thompson, who's leading our tech coverage in the EMEA region. Now, speaking of Twitter, some Twitter users are growing weary of using the platform since Elon Musk's takeover. Others are turning to Blue Sky as a possible alternative. That's if you can make it off the wait list. Aisha Counts, Aisha Counts joins us. Bloomberg News social media reporter. Aisha, what is Blue Sky? Where's this come from? Yeah, it's a Twitter alternative, as you mentioned, right in the wake of Elon Musk taking over Twitter. A lot of people have not been happy with the platform, whether it's from a content moderation perspective, all the changes with verification. And so Blue Sky is another alternative. It looks very similar to Twitter if you see it. And it's got the backing of Jack Dorsey, who obviously was really involved with Twitter from the early days. And so that's giving people some confidence to want to try out the platform. Yeah, what is it, about quarter of a million iPhone downloads so far? I mean, nowhere near Twitter's overall use case. But Aisha, how is it distinct, not only from Twitter, but distinct from other competitors out there? I'm thinking of Mastodon, which also wants to be some sort of decentralized social platform. I mean, that's the challenge, right, is how do you differentiate? A lot of them are, are very, very similar to Twitter. They're going to look very similar on the feed. Right now, Blue Sky has a wait list, so in some ways they're trying to control how many people can be on the platform. You mentioned trying to have sort of a decentralized open protocol. If you think about Mastodon, they have different servers, so you have to be on a server to follow someone, and so that gets a little bit more complicated. Blue Sky is a little bit more straightforward in terms of onboarding, but it's really going to be... That's going to be the question moving forward. How do they differentiate when they're all very similar? Uh, I mean, Caro, they look identical to me. I don't know about you. Like Parag Agrawal, for example, is believed to have gone to Blue Sky. People have been sharing screenshots of his profile on Twitter. But when you're scrolling through, 
it just looks like Twitter. Yeah. So, but maybe that's not surprising, given it was basically born out of Twitter, right, Asia? I mean, its yeah. history is that it was backed in many ways and, and sort of a startup within the company. Right. It, it, so it's not super surprising. And you see the same thing with other alternatives. There's an alternative called T2 that was created by former Twitter employees. Like all of them are sort of playing off of what Twitter did because it was successful at what it did. The question will be, will they be able to really convince users to come on in, in a massive way? As you mentioned, right, 245,000 or so downloads. And you think about Twitter, which has 500 million monthly active users, according to Musk. So it's going to really be a challenge to scale. I think I think that's what we're going to see over the coming months and years. I think it's important, Aisha, to go back to the two big changes of the Twitter platform recently, which is subscribers um, and also verification. Just remind us what the latest on both those fronts are. Yes. So if you think about verification, you have to sign up for Twitter Blue, which costs about $8 per month, have a display name, a photo and a number, and then you get your blue check mark. Obviously, that's been really challenging because you have established organizations from news institutions to political figures to athletes and celebrities that lost their legacy check marks. So it's not about being notable anymore. So that's one huge change. Part of that um, is subscribing to Twitter Blue, but then there's also a new feature release where you can actually subscribe to an individual person and get access to additional content. So there's been a ton of changes on the platform. But what's the challenges are, it's really hard to tell which accounts are authentic or are not. And so that's really been one of the main sticking points. As Disney will attest earlier this week, Asia Counts, thank you so much. Brilliant reporting as always. Meanwhile, coming up, was another win for Apple in the fight over its App Store policies. We'll dig in from New York, San Francisco. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. 
Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Time for Wall Street Beat, Karen. Today we're focusing on First Republic Bank. Actually, San Francisco, California-based bank. But after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank... Well, that that chart says it all. They've reported earnings. Depositor flight is a huge concern. Mm. The share's down 90% year-to-date now, and, and there are strategic options is the word that, that, that they're using. I mean, there is the year-to-date chart that is just so painful. I mean, all of this, the fact that they missed the analyst expectations for consumer dis- deposits, they plunged 41%, worse than expected, even after the rescue attempts of the big banks here in the US. Yes. They lent them $30 billion of their own cash, deposited that. So really, the fact that we're hearing that they're going to have to cut people, it doesn't seem to yes. put an end to its own what seem to be quite idiosyncratic issues now, Ed. For, for that bank particularly, an injection of capital, but it was supposed to be an injection of confidence. And as it relates to our audience, venture capitalists, startups yeah. were banking with First Republic. But last night on Twitter, just so many people talking about how did we get here? Yeah. How did it get even worse? Yeah, and the fact that they're so focused on big mortgages to big wealthy people and yes. well, they moved elsewhere. Let's talk about something else, moving away from the world of, well, Wall Street to the world of key tech, which is Apple. And in fact, we're talking legal here. It's just won an appeals court ruling, upholding its App Store's policies in an antitrust challenge that, of course, was brought by Epic Games, remember, the maker of Fortnite. Let's bring in Bloomberg's intelligence is Jennifer Ree, who, well, Apple had already sort of self-imposed some changes here, been trying to mm-hmm. see these headwinds coming on it. But the fact that the courts sort of upheld its side of the story, were you surprised? You know, not too surprised, somewhat. I think, you know, I heard the argument on appeal, and it was really hard to call what the justices were going to do, because the lower court opinion was somewhat controversial, mm. well thought out, but somewhat controversial, and you had this three panel, this judge's three of them and you need two out of one out of the three to vote one spoke a lot seemed to be for apple one spoke a lot seemed to be epic and the third one didn't say a word (laughs) so it was a little bit hard to predict but you know at the end of the day they basically pretty much affirmed everything that the lower court had done they disagreed with some things but they said where they disagreed it was harmless meaning even if the judge had done it differently it still would have come out the same the ultimate outcome so it doesn't really matter and they don't have to go back to her and they sent it back to her on just a little issue of whether or not epic has to pay some of um, Apple's legal bills, just yes. a very minor thing, really not the main aspect of this litigation, but for the most part it holds, and Apple's walled garden still survives. So, so Jen, Apple came out after the, this decision and said it was a resounding victory, mm-hmm. I think they literally used those words, because nine out of the ten claims were settled in their favour, but to the point you just made, one was not. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you explain that to us? Was there any um, positive that Epic in particular could take away? 
You know, the most interesting thing is that the one claim that was against Apple wasn't really something Epic asked for. So what that okay. was was an abolition on what are called anti-steering rules. And these are rules Apple had imposed on developers that didn't allow developers within the apps in the App Store to push consumers somewhere else outside of the App Store, let's say, to buy the app for less expensive price or make in-app purchases that are less expensive, such as going to the developer's own website or app. What the court said is these don't violate antitrust rules, but they do violate a California state law against unfair competition. So mm -hmm. Apple, you have to let these developers steer users if, if developers choose to do so. And that, you know, was somewhat good for Epic and somewhat bad for yes. Apple, though Apple was kind of already going in that direction. What's interesting, Ed, is all of this is very U.S. focused. Mm -hmm. We're talking about state law, we're talking about federal law, yeah. but actually it's Europe in many ways that is changing the business model of Apple, I would feel. Well, that's right, Jen, because I think they're, they're responding to the Digital Markets Act's mm -hmm. requirement and they're, they're basically opening the doors to outsiders in that market. Right, and we understand Apple's already working on that in Europe, and they have to. I mean, this is going to go into effect in 2024. Apple's going to have to allow alternative app stores on iOS mobile devices, which is exactly what Epic was pushing for in the United States. And also, there was some legislation that was pushing for the same thing in the U.S., had traction last year. You know, I'm not so sure it'll have traction going forward now that we have this divided Congress, but we'll see, because maybe this court decision could sort of light some fires here in the United States, and maybe they'll push forward legislation that does the same thing the Digital yes. Markets Act does. End of the day, global companies, global law restrictions. We thank you, as always, Bloomberg Intelligence's Jennifer Reach. So on the money there. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Caroline, let's get a check on the markets because I think earnings season is the main driver, right? Look at the Nasdaq 100. We're off by a percentage point. Spotify was kind of the bright spot, but actually across some of those indices, a lot of names are disappointed, moving to the downside. Underperformance in semiconductors. And you talked about it earlier, Caroline. Nasdaq Golden Dragon Index, this basket of US-listed Chinese tech companies, down 3%. We're at a November low. We're down for a sixth consecutive session. There's not that much out there in the in way of headlines. But I think there's a lot of geopolitical risk being priced in here. You look at the 10-year yield, we're off seven basis points, 3.4%. In terms of specific movers, we're looking at earnings season's the main driver here right now. You know, we're talking about expectations for investors that across the technology sector are kind of really focused on a drop in earnings year mm. on year because of all the pain that we're going through right now in advertising and a slowdown in corporate spending. So that's where we'll check in over the next five days. Yeah, risk sentiment a bit low, but there are still deals being done, maybe in the private market too. We're going to talk about just that. Zinnia, it's an insurance data and technology firm backed by Eldridge Industries. It's just agreed, Ed, to buy digital insurance marketplace Policy Genius. The deal, which was actually first reported by Bloomberg, is now official as of today. So we thought we'd talk about it with Zinnia CEO, Michelle Troni, for more, alongside our very own Shanali Basak, who, as always, brings us such great interviews, and we thank her for it. Michelle, nice British accent we're about to hear from you. <laughs> Tell us about what you're trying to do here, it's sort of the consumer-facing with the back end. What do you provide that's different in the market? Sure. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Um, so, yeah, so Zinnia is really all about make, giving access to consumers, uh, making sure that they have education, that they have the right content, they understand what insurance policies are right for them, and then ensuring that the buying, per, you know, the, the, the motion of buying all the way through the life cycle of owning the policy and claim is a phenomenal experience end to end. 
Hey, Michelle, talk us through the logic behind Policy Genius. What, what was the motivator? And, and also, in this environment, was it hard to get done? So, um, look, I think there's never a bad time to do... There's never a bad time to do a good deal, and uh, you know when we found Policy Genius, we we felt like it would would fit together super well for us and accelerate the journey that we're on. You know they they were some of the earliest insure tech pioneers. They built a phenomenal consumer-facing marketplace. Has great technology at the heart of it. Goes everything from lead to fulfillment. We do everything from issuance to to uh, claim for policies. Bringing those two businesses together, we have a vision of open insurance, making sure that that it can really transform the life cycle of insurance. We're a tech provider to carriers, we're a tech provider to distributors, and now we're a tech provider and a resource to consumers. You know, I'm kind of curious to tap into your expertise here because you are using technology to really attack some problems here you've seen in the insurance industry. But you've also been the CIO at UBS for five years, worked there for 25 years. You're still on the board of Deutsche Bank today, where you focus on technology. If you look across finance, where are some of the most compelling places that you can see technology being used to really reinvent the wheel here? Sure. So, look, um, you know, at, at Deutsche Bank and at UBS, and, in, and honestly, across the whole insurance industry, simplification is at the heart of everything that we're trying to do. These are old companies that have been around for decades. You know, I have a lot of empathy for that. I was a CIO <laughs> for a long time. Um, and, you know, you've got a lot of siloed information, which makes it very difficult to give a phenomenal experience to your customers. You know, um, you when you look at you know people's balance sheets having great technology having great data that sits you know in immutable type of smart contract platforms like we're building at Zinnia really gives you know a different focus for the, the technology spend that you then do so when you're you know, if you're you know, if you're on the cloud if you've got you know cloud native applications you can really focus on things that differentiate your business and not on reconciling things all the time why smart contracts I mean I'm curious because when people think about the new transformative technology, they more explicitly say blockchain or other kind of, you know, buzzwords. Terminology. Yeah, yeah, exactly, that have become popularized over the last couple of years. You know, we have industries that are coming, you know, are highly regulated, right, where data privacy is like at the heart of, you know, whether people will trust you or not. And smart contract, smart contract can live on top of any type of technology, right? We are building on top of distributed ledgers. Um, I think the banks are also doing the same kind of thing. What we're really talking about is an immutable data asset that then all the processes and the capabilities can come to that data as opposed to, you know, you having to move data around an organization, which is very costly. So, you know, macro trends move to the cloud. It's still massive. I've been hearing a lot of people saying, you know, that's slowing down. Certainly not for the big, big financial institutions and, and insurance businesses that I work with. And obviously, you know, uh, AI is becoming more and more, you know, relevant, available, and exciting for our industry. Okay, so let's go there to the next <laughs> new bright thing of buzzwords. How are you thinking about it within Zinnia? How are you thinking about making sure that ML and AI is just an easy to access and, and building productivity for your companies? Exactly. Well, that's the word, productivity, right? So we really see you know, where the AI capabilities and generative AI right now. It's, at the start of this, it's about making us more productive. Okay. It's about getting insights quicker, getting insights to customers quicker, making everything flow better end to end, you know, and then as we get more comfortable with the privacy and, you know, the regulatory requirements, then we'll expose that through our client interfaces and just make the whole process more uh, productive.
Yeah, Michelle, you're being nimble in the market with this deal. I think what bow ties this all together is that coming out of the SVB collapse, your industry kind of acknowledges that global finance needs to modernize, whether it's through AI or there's opportunity to move from sort of traditional banking to look at the, the offerings from fintech. Has that given you momentum, your industry, fintech more broadly? I think so. I think that people realise when, you know, whether it's the regional banks or you know, any other part of the banking system that isn't operating in an efficient way, you know, a lot of times behind the scene there, that it's poor data, um, it's you know, too much technology, you know, it's an environment with one of everything, and it makes it very difficult to kind of you know, see the wood for the trees, right? When you have like clean data, clean technology, you, know, you, can, you can manage your balance sheet properly. You you can see what your drivers of costs are, you can see what your margin is, and you understand the impact the products that you're serving up deliver to your consumers. So, you know, I think it's behind a lot of that, Ed, and I think it will give a lot more momentum to people really saying, Let, we have to step back and actually create, like, the, the technology and the infrastructure for the future, not just kind of, you know, around the edges. And, you know, InsureTech is, you know, well behind FinTech. They're on their second innings now, and, uh, you know, we're hoping to be some of the the pioneers of the insure tech industry to do the same thing. As someone who's seen very many cycles of this, what are the limitations particularly to AI and financial services? Look, I think it's all about privacy and security, right? It's, you know, with everything that we do from a technology perspective, working with regulators to make sure we all are talking the same language, people understand, you know, what are we doing to secure data? You know, what are the risks that we're running? How can we recover, you know, cyber threats and attacks, etc.? All of those things are things that we have to work, you know, hand in hand, whether it's with regulators or honestly with shareholders or customers to make sure they're comfortable. We're taking all the right steps that we can use these great technologies that improve service and capabilities but don't uh, you know don't compromise their security or their privacy senior ceo michelle troni great to have you out in new york and bloomberg shanali basak who caroline continues to bring us conversations at the intersection of finance and technology we love it right now coming up we're going to talk about the trends to watch in the venture capital world generative ai creator economy guess who with caro Lightspeed's Mike Minano. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Time for the VC Roundup, starting with a new net zero emissions initiative. For the first time, a group of 23 VC firms are banding together to figure out how to decarbonize their portfolios. Through this Venture Climate Alliance, member firms pledge to cut or net zero out their own greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 or earlier. And former Salesforce co-CEO Keith Block is launching a venture capital firm targeting $400 million for its first fund. Smith Point Capital will invest in enterprise software, particularly at the growth stage. Among those investing in the fund are Carnini Mellon and billionaire David Tepper. Caroline, I think we got some breaking news. First Republic came out with its earnings disappointing on deposit outflows. Now we understand it's weighing selling up from $50 billion to $100 billion in assets. We're talking here long-dated securities. We're talking mortgages, Ed. All of this is about an asset liability mismatch that the overall First Republic California-based bank has at the moment. Maybe they sell those to U.S. banks, Ed. Maybe it's about incentivizing them to buy them above their market value. We know the impact that had on Silicon Valley Bank, the fact that we'd seen price destruction in long-dated bonds. So maybe you get a warrant, a preferred equity to do that. And all of this, of course, Ed, is about trying to stop being seized by the FDIC. Yeah, and I go back to what we discussed earlier in the show. When earnings hit last night, the seriousness of the situation with this bank, everyone was discussing it on Twitter because they couldn't believe after many of the larger industry peers stepped in that we would find ourselves at this stage. Yeah, let's discuss all of this with a perfect voice because, well, it's been quite the time to be a VC at the moment. It's time for VC Spotlight. Mike McNanna is with us. He's Lightspeed Ventures, his partner last year, focusing on investing in generative AI and creator supply chain. Also, of course, you used to lead podcast live video businesses over at Spotify. So much news to talk about. I wanted to start off with Spotify. But how much of an impact is the still bank instability at First Republic? Have you felt that your portfolio companies and yourself have diversified enough? Yeah, look, I think, you know, if you're a founder, whether you're banking in 2023 or 2019 when I was building my company, I think it's always good practice to diversify across several different banks, just like anyone would with any investment strategy. If you're a startup, you might be carrying a lot of cash, and it's always a good idea to be responsible about it. And that's the advice that, you know, I would give to a founder today or back then when I was starting my company. Hey, Mike, I'm going to jump in here. Welcome to the program. It's good to see you. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Caroline. How difficult is... It's it's good to see you because things are difficult right now. Uh, You know, on one hand, we just told you that news about Keith Block starting a new firm and raising funds. And then on the other hand, we hear founders absolutely desperate for cash to get rounds closed. Across your portfolio companies, what is the situation for you? 
Look, I think it really depends on what you're building and what customers uh, you're building for and how they're responding to what you're building. Obviously, you know, there are always going to be cycles to different markets. Certain categories are more exciting than others. Right now, obviously, generative AI is a category that is very exciting to startup founders, customers, and venture capitalists as well. There's a massive shift ongoing right now, and I think as a result, that sector of the market is extremely exciting at the moment. Okay, so let's dig in there. Let's go to the silver lightning amid all of this, because you, of course, have been investing in companies that deploy AI, whether it's Granola, whether, of course, it's also Tome, and some of these companies are getting big valuations. How are they adding to productivity in the here and now? Yeah, look, I think you know every decade or so, there's a massive shift in technology. Uh, back in December, I was really vocal that I believed that generative AI would be as consequential to consumer technology as the iPhone would. I feel even more strongly about that now. In fact, I think it's potentially even more consequential than the internet. And it is already changing the way that we work, that we live, that we socialize, that we learn, that we create. Um, and that's an area in particular that I get really, really excited about. Um, if you look back at the history of the internet, all forms of media, all forms of creativity end up getting democratized by technology. Technology makes it easier to create. Generative AI is accelerating yes. that trend by decades, maybe centuries, uh, by enabling anyone to create anything with the tap of a button. You know, like you said, I, I founded Anchor, the podcasting platform. Uh, we would have killed to have access to this technology <laughs> even just a couple of years ago. And so I think, you know, all of these areas that I mentioned stand to be vastly accelerated, but I'm, I'm very excited by creativity in general. Uh, Michael, possibly before your time, but Lightspeed was a firm that over recent years went to its LPs and hard sold crypto. Crypto is it, this is the big thing, until it wasn't anymore. Now Lightspeed is going to its LPs and, and I guess saying the same thing about AI. It's the next big thing. You talked about a once in a decade technological change. What's the risk that you, you, you see the same cycle we saw with crypto? Look, I think with crypto, there, you know, there was a lot of value generated from crypto, and there still stands to be a lot of value generated from crypto. And you know, we continue to make investments in the space, especially on the infrastructure side. I think with generative AI, it's hitting consumer applications right now. So take Tome as an example. You mentioned Tome, Caroline, uh, and also touching on the intersection with creativity. Tome is disrupting a massive, massive market of presentation software. Mm. Presentations are one of the most ubiquitous creative formats in the workplace, but they're really, really hard to create, right? It takes a lot of skill, a lot of effort, a lot to of make a, a lot of time to make a beautiful PowerPoint presentation. And once you do, you're stuck with a 16 by nine grid that you can't even really look at on your mobile phone. Tome takes that whole process. They make it instant, immediate, beautiful, just with a few tap of a button, tap, taps of a button through generative AI. Now anyone can make a beautiful, beautiful presentation, and as a result, they are literally the fastest-growing productivity company of all time. They're going faster than Slack did at this stage. They're going faster than Dropbox did. In terms of revenue, in terms, in terms of, of user growth, user. In, ter in terms of user growth, they are just exploding in users because the value is undeniable, and that's what we see across the board for so many different applications of generative AI at the moment. Just got to monetize it. We thank you, Mike. <laughs>
great having time with him. Wish we had longer. Lightspeed Ventures partner Mike Bignano there. We've got to get back to some of the breaking news. And of course, First Republic Bank saying that it might well be looking worse, according to people familiar, potentially assessing selling off some assets. We want to bring in Shanali Basak. And this is about mortgages. This is about long data securities. Is this about stopping FDIC taking it over? Yeah, absolutely. We've known for a while that this is something that the bank, its advisors have wanted to avoid. They can find another solution as they believe it. And now we are learning over here at Bloomberg that they are exploring divesting 50 to $100 billion worth of those long-dated securities and mortgage as part of this rescue plan. Now, there may be sweeteners for potential buyers here. That's part of the deal here. Potentially warrants or preferred equity as an incentive to buy some of these assets. Remember, when we looked at First Republic, which is down 30% on the day, about 90% on the year, uh, certainly in dire territory here, loans at the end of the quarter were $173 billion, but deposits were $100 billion. There are a lot of concerns about the strength of the balance sheet here, but the hope here is that by getting rid of some assets, selling these assets at above market value, there can be something here for the buyer to hang on to and help First Republic, albeit a much smaller bank, make it through the worst of this crisis for themselves. Shanali, one of our sources saying that if that is the case, the U.S. government might need to come in and facilitate the, the negotiation, the conversation. Goes back to last night and strategic options. I mean, what were the strategic options on the table as it was outlined by First Republic? Listen, this, it, selling some assets is something we've not only seen First Republic potentially explore at this point, but we have seen other regional banks also already sell some assets or consider doing so as well. There are not that many buyers in the United States that could be buying books of this size, Ed. And so the question is, are these big banking buyers that are taking on books, are there private buyers that can be taking it on? Will the FDIC allow those things to happen? Uh, yes, the idea here is to avoid receivership. Mm-hmm. But to the extent that really large books of uh, business are sold here, then the government does take a look at this depending on whose hands it goes into if there are b- uh, books of business this large indeed. Shanali, jumping on the breaking news with us, of course, First Republic Bank still very much under pressure in terms of share price. Now, let's pivot because we've got to talk about artificial intelligence again. We've got to talk about some news actually coming out of Cisco, just talking about how AI software like ChatGPT will make phishing attempts much harder to detect, requiring companies to adopt new defenses. In contrast, well, Barmak Mefta, he's a co-founder of Ballistic Ventures and former president of AT&T's cybersecurity department, recently told us how AI could help in the fight against cyber attacks. Just take a listen. You can apply AI to automating threat detection incident response and removing the scarce human capital resources that are available so they can focus on higher important things. Um, Having said that, though, you can't rely on AI to completely automate your business. Let's get to a current AT&T exec, the chief operating officer, no less. Jeff McElfresh is with us. Your view on all things to do with the future security. We're ramping up to the RSA coverage tomorrow, of course, Jeff. And well, is ChatGPT, is AI going to be a help or a hindrance, do you think, for security overall? Caroline, thanks for having me. Look, I think for our enterprise customers, when they think about keeping their workloads and their employees safe and secure, You know, they need better network solutions that are software enabled in order to defend against a threat that is invariably likely to be dynamic and changing quicker every day. As Barmack just mentioned in his previous episode in the announcement with Cisco, the tools that make us more productive can be used for good, they can be used for bad. 
And what I'm excited about at AT&T and what we're hearing from our enterprise customers is that, you know, the perimeter that they have to defend is getting more complex. They not only have a hybrid cloud environment and on-prem applications, but their end users are also in a hybrid environment uh, connected either at home, doing productive work, or on the go. And so really what the industry is looking for is the expertise that AT&T brings in providing yes. an integrated converged solution across uh, both fixed and mobile networks in an architecture that enables them to respond quickly to this very dynamic changing landscape. Jeff, I'm, I'm looking forward to being on the ground at RSA here in San Francisco. I think a pretty obvious question is why is AT&T there and interested in cybersecurity. You went to the enterprise side of your business, but you think about it as a network, the large body of customer data that you're responsible for. It must be a, a, a pretty big stress for you making sure you are safe and secure. Well, Ed, it certainly is. I mean, we operate one of the largest networks in the United States, and what we do at AT&T is important not only for all of our customers, but also for the nation. Our broadband infrastructure and keeping it safe and secure is a top priority and part of our 147-year heritage. And so in that, uh, the reason why we are engaged um, personally or internally for our own network itself, I mean, we, we have uh, heavy lifting and work that we do day in and day out keeping our own network safe and secure. And we've done this, Ed, with network uh, innovation in three areas. The first, we've actually embedded security capabilities native into our network. Um, we couple that with the ability to see across both the fixed and the mobile uh, networks. You know, the end customer, they don't really discern between how they are connected to the internet, whether they're a large enterprise customer right. or a consumer. But what they know is they need that information uh, to be secured, and here at AT&T, our priority is to make those connections fast, reliable, and secure. Jeff, we asked our audience how top of mind cybersecurity is right now, and actually almost 70% of respondents said that it is a big concern. You know, you added fewer new customers this quarter than compared with a year ago. You kind of U-turned on, on the, the, the change of heart with home internet services. Is cybersecurity what makes you competitive in those fields, or do you have work to do? We, uh, I think we as an industry have work to do, but I think AT&T has a marquee advantage here. In fact, I mean, we added a lot more customers than just the postpaid phone net ad customers. When you think about the number of connections for our connected cars that we enable across the nation, you could only imagine that you would want those interfaces to be secure, especially in a day of self-driving and autonomous vehicles and the promise of what we're bringing to life with 5G. Um, I will never say that the work is complete. It's a very dynamic landscape. And I would tell you that our enterprise customers and our consumers yes. who once ranked coverage as high as possible in terms of performance have now elevated security almost equal to the core network performance. It's important for our entire customer segment. 
All right, AT&T's Chief Operating Officer, Jeff McElfresh, thank you for joining us. Karen. Let's just go back to the breaking news, Ed. First Republic Bank, now at session lows, we're off by 31%. Remember, this is a stock that's already collapsed 90% in terms of market value so far this year. The reason, while well, we're worrying about the viability of the bank, this time we understand, according to exclusive Bloomberg reporting, they're weighing an up to $100 billion in asset sales. We're talking long-dated securities, Ed. We're talking mortgages. And all of this, hopefully, to be above market value. They've got to offer some incentives so to US banks to sell them. Yeah, and steep, steep declines year to date, 90%. I think that does it for the show, Caroline. It does this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Tune in tomorrow. We've got so much special coverage coming from you, Ed. RSA, of course, the Mandiant CEO, for example. This is Bloomberg. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.